Father, thank you so much for all that you've been doing. And I've just been sensing during worship, you've been speaking to people individually about their lives. And we thank you for encouraging us with your spirit. God, we pray for Robert right now and Stephen as they're leading World Mandate Asia. And we just pray many young Asian believers would be sent to the nations as a result of that conference. Lord, we, we pray over our church here. Lord, during this summertime, we pray that every person here this morning would leave with a word from you. We invite you to come teach us, Holy Spirit, through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning again. My name's Kendall. I'm the executive pastor here, and if I hadn't got a chance to meet you, I'd, I'd love to after the service, but um, I want to start this morning as we continue our series on the book of Ephesians. You know, we've been going through Ephesians little by little on Sunday mornings, and we're continuing that today. As we start, I'd love to ask you a question. What do you think of when you hear the word grace? What do you think of when you hear the word grace? Is there anyone named grace here? Anyone named grace? All right, awesome. So grace is an awesome name. Some of us might be named Grace. You might think of a person's name. Maybe you're friends with a lot of royalty. I'm not, but maybe you address people like, you're Grace. Maybe that's something you do. Um, you know, there's politicians, right? They could sometimes fall out of the public's good graces. Grace is something we say before a meal. I had a roommate before I was married, and he was applying to graduate school, and he missed an important deadline, and he had to get a grace period to be accepted. Has anyone out there ever needed a grace period before? I know I have. So sometimes we need a grace period, but there's a few times in my life where I felt that I've experienced grace more than any others, and I want to tell you a story about that to start this morning. I was part, my wife and I, we were part of the group that moved from another state to help start all people's church. We moved out here a number of years ago. We had a lot of vision. We had a lot of promises from God. We were excited about God was going to do. As we met, we started to gather. People started to come. That was encouraging because we didn't start with any, but we didn't have any money. And during that process, we had friends and family and ministries generously partner with us financially. We had monthly partners. We raised missionary support. We'd have people that would give to us during that time. But it was a very lean time. We, we sacrificed. We prayed. We, I look back at those miracles, and I'm very grateful for the stories. But in the moment, it felt a little more challenging, if you catch my drift. And there were some financial challenges during that season. My wife was working full-time as well, and we were praying, sacrificing, working hard. Well, God provided every month. We always had what we need, but there is one area of our finances we just couldn't get resolved, and that was finishing out paying off some college debt. And we had a plan. We were working hard, but we just couldn't seem to take care of it. Obviously, we were happy to serve. It wasn't about the money coming here. God was blessing and moving in San Diego, so we were excited to be a part, but we we needed some breakthrough in this area. Well, a, a few years later, I'm at the office one day and just kind of working, working on my computer, and my wife calls me, and she says, hey, have you checked your email today? I said, well, I've been on my email. What what are you talking about? And she says, well, we received a giving report that you need to look at. A giving report is something we received every month that informed us who had been partnering with us financially and giving to the ministry at that time. So I opened up the email. I looked at it, and I went, huh, that's weird. It's a little bit bigger number than I expected. And that person, they don't, really, they don't really give to us. And that seems kind of 
I don't know, this is probably too good to be true. And as my wife and I, we talked on the phone and we decided, you know what, this is some kind of clerical error. There's no way uh, on God's green earth we've been provided for this much money. So it, this is just too good to be true. And so we, we call an accounting office in Texas that we work with. And Angela, the nice lady there, answers the phone and said, Angela, it's a little awkward for me to bring up. We just received a giving report. I think there, there might be a zero that's been added. Um, this doesn't look right. You know, it's just not really adding up. You know, I hear some some typing and some shuffling around of some papers. And then Angela said, nope, nope, that's the right number. So obviously God's provided. So have a great day. Bye. And that was it. So, so first of all, I was dumbfounded. It kind of felt too good to be true. I, I didn't really believe it. And then Jonathan and I were in the office, and so I remember him saying, hey, what are you doing on the phone? And we, we talked about the phone call, and I remember telling him, I, I think that God just provided this money, in, and now we're going to be out of, out of our college debt. And you know, I, being, being having college debt like that, it's always in the back of your mind. It's just kind of something that you carry, and I didn't like that feeling. And so I, I, I really, I wanted to be excited, but I was just kind of reticent to, to take it for real. And, and then I remember feeling a little embarrassed. I remember feeling like, man, I don't really deserve this. Like, I'm not on a 40-day fast right now, you know? Like, I just kind of came to work today. <laughs> like, now I have this email? What am I supposed to do with this? And I remember feeling embarrassed, not knowing how to respond. And it was about lunchtime. So Jonathan and I looked at each other and said, hey, let's go to lunch. And I figured, hey, I'm the one with my debt that just got paid off, so I should pay. And so I'm a big spender. So we went to Santana's on El Cajon Boulevard. And uh, we, we pulled up, and I'll, I'll never forget, kind of sitting across the table there at Santana's. And Jonathan looking at me and him saying this phrase, him saying, dude, this is a game changer. This is a game changer. What's a game changer? A game changer is a new idea or or concept or event that totally reorders the current way of doing things. Back in the day, the printing press, that was a game changer. The internet, game changer. You probably remember if you have one when you got your first smartphone. It's kind of, kind of a game changer. The California burrito, game changer. Whoever put french fries in that burrito the first time, they're a genius. That, Chipotle hasn't even figured it out yet. Game changer. Grace is a game changer. I want to speak to you from that subject this morning on why grace is a game changer. We're going to continue our Ephesians series. We're going to start in Ephesians chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, our ushers always pass them out. You can just wave and one will make its way to you as we start reading in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1. Kind of let you pull that up on your smartphone, let those Bibles get passed out. Great. Ephesians chapter 2. As for you, will you look at your neighbor, please, and say, as for you, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us who lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us in him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order in the coming ages he might show us the imparable riches of his, of his, 
expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourself. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I've got to tell you, it's a little intimidating to preach to you from this passage today on Ephesians 2. And the reason is, is because this passage has actually been a game changer in world history. This passage has been a game changer for for us today in the church. Uh, There was a period of time in world history called the Reformation. And, and during this time in the 15 and 1600s, the printing press was invented. The Bible was being translated into the common language of the people. And people were reading the scriptures for the first time. And as they read the scriptures, they started to learn about salvation. They started to learn that what they had heard, like salvation doesn't come through joining a particular church. We aren't saved from our sin by giving money to the poor or giving money to the church. What they were learning was that salvation comes through the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Can I get an amen? So they were learning about that, and it was just reforming the entire church and the entire way of thinking. Well, during this time, there were traveling preachers. They would travel around Europe, and they would preach this message concerning grace and salvation. And one of those messengers, one of those preachers, his name, it's easy to remember, his name was Peter Gabriel. I'm not making this up. Peter Gabriel. That was his, apparently there's no Peter Gabriel fans out there. He's a musician like from the 80s. Okay. Anyway, there was another man named Peter Gabriel and he would travel and he would preach this message. And so as Peter Gabriel traveled, he was on his way to the city of Amsterdam. Amsterdam had yet to receive the Reformation and he published some pamphlets saying that he was coming. There was kind of like a crusade that you'd see today. There were posters all over the town saying that a guy named Peter Gabriel, he's coming to preach on grace. He's coming to preach on salvation from Ephesians 2. And the whole city gets papered with this. And the people are starting to get interested. But the leaders of the city, they did not want to receive this message. You see, they wanted to keep uh, the political power that they had uh, with the Church of Rome. They, they didn't want to disrupt the current way of doing things, and so they said, we're, we're going to reject this guy. So they locked the gates, they shut the city walls, and they said, Peter Gabriel is not coming here to preach this message, and our citizenry is not going to leave to hear this message. We're shutting this thing down. We're rejecting the Reformation. Well, here's the deal. Once you get a little bit of grace, you've got to have more, right? They're like Doritos. You can't eat just one. And, and so... The people of the city, they heard he was coming, and Peter Gabriel, he was rejected. He was locked out of the city, so he said, I'll go stand in a field. So as Peter Gabriel went and stood in a field outside the city, the most amazing thing happened. The people of the city, they jumped into the canals and rivers of Amsterdam. They swam under bridges. They swam under walls. They broke through gates. They, they cut through secret tunnels, and they ended up in a field soaking wet and dirty and listening to Peter preach for four and a half hours on this message of grace. And the Reformation made it into their city, and many people were transformed by the power of God. Are you hungry for the grace of God this morning? They were hungry. The grace of God is a game changer. few reasons grace is a game changer for us today. First of all, grace invites us into relationship with God. Grace invites us. That's my first point today. Grace invites us into relationship with God. Let's look in Ephesians 2, verse 1. Just read this. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. So Paul, the writer of this passage, he does something kind of interesting. 
he, he starts a passage on grace, but he starts it with another subject. He starts talking about grace by mentioning wrath. He starts by, by talking about wrath. He starts by talking about the opposite of grace. As it says in verse 1, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and your sin. He, Paul's reminding us of something. He's reminding us that apart from grace, apart from Christ, no person is spiritually alive. No person is alive in Christ without grace. Yes, we might be physically alive when we're born. We're emotionally present in the world around us. But spiritually, we are dead if we're apart from Christ. Romans 3.23, another passage of the Bible, says it this way. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 says it this way. For the wages of sin is death. We experience death. We experience spiritual death in the world because of our sin, because we're separated from God. Let me, let me continue to read this, and I think it'll, it'll make more sense to us, starting in verse 2. In which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom and the heir, the spirit who is now at work, and those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Paul is describing here what life looks like apart from God. When we live apart from God, we're controlled by three things. The ways of this world. We're not living out the ways of the kingdom of God, so we're living out the ways of just the world and the culture around us. We're controlled by the cravings of our flesh. We're ruled by our own desires, which we have no power over. And finally, we're, we're controlled by the spirit that is in the air. That's talking about the devil, the world, the flesh, and the devil. These are the powers that are at play in people's lives that are apart from Christ. And because of these things, because of the way we live, we are deserving of wrath. And you might say something like this, Kendall, that's a little harsh, starting off your message with wrath. This is all people's church. You might think, hey, Kendall, if you mention wrath a little too much, in a few weeks, this is probably going to be no people's church when Robert comes back, so you might kind of want to get to the good part. Well, I, I, I can't go past it, and the reason not is because I think Paul, the author of this passage, included this here for a very specific reason. See, Paul was aware of his need for grace because of his former life. Paul, the guy that wrote most of the New Testament, the guy that uh, started many churches and God used him powerfully in his day, he, before he met Christ, lived a very different life. He, he'd be what you'd call a modern-day terrorist. He, he, he spent his days in the name of God, rounding up Christians, persecuting them, attacking them, uh, breathing murderous threats against them, the Bible says, overseeing their deaths and their executions. Paul was not a good man. He understood that he was deserving of wrath, and he did all these things in the name of God. You know, uh, the story of Paul, it, it kind of reminds me of my story. I was not a terrorist in my former life, but like Paul, I wasn't looking for God, and God invaded my world, and I encountered him. God invited me into a relationship with him through his grace. Here's how it happened. Uh, throughout high school, I, I drifted farther and farther from God. I got very disillusioned with the established church. I got involved in the new age. I got involved in relationships I shouldn't have been involved in. And eventually that led to drugs. And I just found myself in a darker and darker spiral moving me away from God. 
So one night, I was at a friend's house. We were partying, and people were using drugs. Different things were going on. And uh, just for a moment, I thought I'd leave the party and just kind of move to the restroom and kind of sit in the bathroom and collect my thoughts. So there I was. I, I walked into the bathroom, and I shut the door. And right when I shut that door, I felt something different. I felt, I felt like a presence. I, I, I felt the presence of God, I started to realize. I felt the spirit of God. He was drawing me. I, I felt compassion. I felt grace. I felt tears begin to well up my eyes. I didn't know what was happening. And, and I looked in the mirror, and then a voice spoke to my heart. And I heard this voice in my heart, and it said this. It said, Kendall, this is not the life I have for you. This is not the life I have for you. I, I'm not sure how to explain it, but in that moment, I was invited into a relationship with God, and I encountered grace. Grace became a game changer in my life. I shut the door to that bathroom. I left the party. I stopped using drugs. I started a Bible study and accountability group the next week. I, I went to a Christian college. I did everything I could to seek God because of this moment in my life where God invaded my world. Grace is a game changer because it invites us in to relationship with God. Let's continue looking in Ephesians 2. I'll just read some of the different passages here from 4 through 8. Verse 4, it says this, But God, because of his great love for us. Verse 5 says this, God made us alive in Christ. Verse 6, verse 6 says this, God raised us up in Christ. Verse 7, God will show the riches of his grace. God has shown us kindness in Christ Jesus. Let me ask you a question. Who's the primary actor in these verses? God. It's not us. It wasn't Paul. It's not the church. It's not, it's not anyone else. It's God. Grace is a game changer because when we understand grace, we understand God is inviting us into relationship with him. It's not because of our own works. Without God, we're wretched. We're deserving of, of death. Nothing good comes apart from him. But when grace invades our life, something changes. Grace is a game changer. Now, you might be thinking this, you might be saying, okay, okay, I get the grace thing, but I'm kind of here investigating the Bible. I'm kind of here investigating faith this morning, and I've also heard some other things. I've also heard that there's judgment in the Bible. I've also heard that there's wrath, and so what do you do with all that? How do you wrestle that? So some people have questions like that, and then, and then other people, they, they kind of divide the Bible. They're like, well, in the Old Testament, there's the God of wrath and judgment, and in the New Testament, there's the God of grace and love. Well, I got news for you. God never changes. God never changes. You know, just here in the New Testament, Ephesians 2, we're, we're reading. We're reading about wrath. We're reading about judgment. But I've also got news for you. God has always been a God of grace. One of the principles of Bible study is you look at the first mention of something in the Scripture. So I'm going to show you the first time grace is mentioned in the Bible. It's not in the New Testament. It's in the first book of the Bible and the book of Genesis. It says this in Genesis 6, verse 8, that Noah found grace. Noah found in the eyes of the Lord. We're going to be saying grace a lot this morning, so just journey with me. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Some translations say Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Noah didn't deserve it. Noah, Noah was just one guy in the midst of a, a wretched and perverse generation, the Bible says, but he found grace in the eyes of the Lord. This is one definition of grace. Grace is the free and unmerited favor of God. Grace is the free and unmerited favor of God. God has always been a God of grace. He never changes. He has always been inviting people into relationship 
with him. And grace can be a game changer for you today. Maybe, maybe you're someone who you've been investigating God, but today is the day, I believe, for several people in here where you're going you're to receive that invitation to invite grace into your heart. Keep going. See chapter 2, verse 8. It says, by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourself. It is a gift from God. Grace is a game changer because God uses his unmerited favor to invite us into relationship with him. Can I get an amen? Amen. Awesome. Grace is a game changer because, because grace establishes our identity in Christ. Grace establishes our identity in Christ. Love Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10. Let's check it out. It says this, we are God's handiwork. We are God's handiwork. Some translations use the word workmanship. We are God's workmanship. We are God's handiwork. God is our maker. I've got news for you this morning. Maybe this has been a season of your life where you just feel like a million bucks. You wake up every day on the right side of the bed. You know, that Ephesians music is playing in the background. For a lot of us, though, maybe it's been a harder season. Maybe it's been a hard week, hard month, hard life. Maybe, maybe you really struggle to find confidence in life. Maybe you wonder, how am I supposed to have grace and faith and confidence to accomplish all that God has in my heart? Well, grace is a game changer because it establishes our identity in Christ. Uh, a few weeks ago, I was listening to the radio, and there was a program on violins. I, I decided to listen for a minute, and they were discussing these world-famous violins called a Stradivarius. Has anyone out here heard of a Stradivarius? Okay, Stradivarius violins, they go for millions of dollars. They're, they're very precious. They were made by one violin maker many years ago, and they just continue to trade hands and go up in value. And an important Stradivarius violin was going up for auction. And so these economists, they got together, like economists do, and they thought, now why is a Stradivarius worth all this money? Why are people willing to spend so much money to pay for this violin? And so they got this idea to do a blind test. So they, they first they used a hotel room, eventually used a concert hall, and they lined up a series of violins, and they hired professional violinists. They blindfolded them, they brought them into the room, and they had them play different violins to see which one, if they could guess which one is the Stradivarius, to see if there was a discernible difference in the quality. Okay, let's listen to the radio program for a minute so you can get an idea of what they did. In the world of violins, the names Stradivari and Guarneri are sacred. For three centuries, violin makers and scientists have studied the instruments made by these Italian craftsmen. So far, no one has figured out what makes their sound different. But a new study suggests maybe they aren't so different after all. And Pierre's Christopher Joyce explains. Okay, here's a test. We're going to hear a musical phrase from Tchaikovsky's Violin Concerto in D major, played twice by the same musician. One's played on a Stradivarius, the other on an instrument made in 1980. See if you can tell the difference. Ready? Pretty sweet. Now try this one. Tough choice. Great. But a pro could pick the Stradivarius. Right? Great. So before you now start bragging to me about your perfect pitch and how you can tell the difference, I've got to let you know they brought in 150 professional violinists, and over 90% of them could not tell the difference between the violin that was worth millions of dollars and the violin that was made in 1980. 
So the economists, they started to ask this question, why are these violins worth so much? Why are people willing to pay so much money for them? It's not the, the wood, the raw material. We have other violins made of a similar quality of wood. They said it's not the shape. It just looks like a normal violin. It's not the music. There, there's really no major difference in the sound quality to, to the average person or even to the skilled musician. So what's, what's the difference? And this is what they determined, that the worth of this instrument was in who made it. The worth of this particular violin was, was determined by who created it. Ephesians 2.10 says that we are God's workmanship. So what are we worth? We're worth Jesus dying for. In God's eyes, we're worth a lot. Grace is a game changer because it establishes our identity in Christ. Maybe you've wondered, how can I have confidence? How can I have faith? The faith's the world around me. Uh, God has created you for a purpose through his grace. I, I like Ephesians 2.10 and a different translation that says, you are God's work of art. In the Greek, it, it says this. It says, you are God's poema. Poema is where they get that word for poem. You are God's poem. You are God's work of art. So if anyone's ever told you you were a piece of work, you know they were right. (laughs) But it was God's work. God establishes our identity in Christ through his grace. I've seen this recently about how each person has a unique identity because my wife and I have just had our second boy. So two weeks ago, I think we have a picture Yeah, there he is. So two weeks ago, baby Jed entered into the world. It was awesome. And I immediately saw how God had created him with a different identity than my first son, Isaac. Well, first of all, they have different names that have different meanings. But even beyond that, their temperaments were immediately different. Their sizes were different. You know, Isaac, when he was born, was seven pounds, seven ounces. I thought, seven, seven, that's a good prophetic number, okay? But, but when Jed was born, he was nine pounds, four ounces. So somebody give a hand to my wife, because that was real. And, and there was a different identity. There was a different, wow, that got weird all of a sudden. Are you hearing a weird noise and the sound? Okay, I'll just keep talking. Hope we work it out. Great. So there was a different identity that God established. The grace of God is a game changer because it establishes our identity in Christ. The grace of God invites us into relationship with God. Thirdly, the grace of God empowers us to do good works. The grace of God empowers us to do good works. Maybe you've heard this definition of grace before as the free and unmerited favor of God. Well, there's another definition I'd like to present to you today. Grace is the operational power of God to do the will of God. Grace is the operational power of God to do the will of God. Grace is a game changer because it empowers us to do good works. Ephesians 2.10 finishes with this phrase, we have been created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. You know, as we talk about grace you might think something like this. You might think, hey, Kendall, I'm a, a little concerned of you emphasizing grace too much this morning because what if people just take it as a license to sin? What if they just go out and do their own thing? We don't even have life groups in session right now to kind of control everybody. So, I mean, what if people just go off the deep end? What are we going to do, right? Have you ever wondered that? Is grace just an opportunity to sin? Is it just an opportunity to do what we want? 
You know, that question is, is found throughout the New Testament. No, somebody said, no, good. Uh, that question is found throughout the New Testament. But if that's what you've thought about grace, I've got to tell you something. You've encountered the concept of grace, but you haven't encountered the person of grace. Because grace has a name that's spelled J-E-S-U-S. Grace is found in the person of Jesus. Sure, if you hear about grace, yeah, I'll receive some grace. And you put it on the shelf along with the 12 other gifts that you heard about last year that you doesn't really impact your life. You don't put value on it. But we understand that grace is a person. It changes the game. It affects how we live. Grace is a person. You know, Jesus, it says in Psalm 45, his lips were anointed with grace. It says in Hebrews that he sits on a throne of grace. It says in John chapter 1 that he's full of grace and truth. It says in Luke chapter 2 that he grew in grace. Jesus was, is grace. When we understand that the grace of God is present to us through Jesus, we don't want to discourage our relationship with him. We understand that grace was free to us, but it cost him everything. The grace of God, it empowers us. It fills us with faith and hope to do good works. Grace is a person that moves into your house, moves into your heart, and moves into your life. Grace is found in Jesus. Basically, grace is for the here and now and not for the there and then. See, a lot of us, if we've been in church for a while, maybe, maybe when I said I was going to talk on grace this morning, you immediately put this message in a certain category. You thought, yeah, I know about grace. I received that, that amazing grace when I got saved. That was, that was cool. And there's probably here some people that need that. So this message will be good for them. I've got to tell you something. You need grace too, my friend. We all need grace. Grace is for the here and now, not for the there and then. So how does the grace of God empower us? How does the grace of God empower us to do the will of God? Well, I want to read some different scriptures to you throughout the Old New Testament that communicate why the grace of God is powerful for us. Okay, so first of all, there is a grace to say no to sin. There is a grace to say no to sin. There is a grace to live a holy life. God always provides a way out of temptation. There is grace. 2 Timothy 1.9 says it this way. He has saved us and called us to a holy life. Not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and his grace. That's right. He has saved us and called us to live a holy life by his grace. There's grace to resist sin and live a holy life. There's grace during the hard times in life. During trials, during tribulations, during testings, there's grace. I like how Hebrews 4 says it, Hebrews 4, 16. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. There is grace available for us in our time of need, whether that need is financial, emotional, spiritual, relational, whatever. There's grace for the moment because of the grace of God. There's grace for us to do good works and have influence in the world around us. I like how it says in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 12, verse 6, it says, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians 3, he said, according to the grace of God given to me, I've been made a master builder. He's talking about his work in the church, that God's given him a certain grace to accomplish a certain kind of work. But what's the grace God's given you? It says here in Romans 12, he's given you a different gift according 
to his grace. He's given you a gift of grace to influence the world around you. He's given you a gift of grace. There may be things that are easier for you that are extremely difficult for some people. That's your grace. There might be spiritual gifts that you have, and you don't know why they happen. They just come, they just flow out of you. It's just easy for you to minister to someone in that kind of way. That's the grace of God for your life. The grace of God empowers us to do good works, have a ministry, and influence the world around us. Ultimately, God wants his grace to have effect on our lives. I like 1 Corinthians 15.10. It's probably my favorite, my favorite verse on grace. It says this, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. That's a good word right there. By the grace of God, I've been established. I know my identity because of the grace of God. I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. God wants his grace to have effect in our lives. He wants it to have impact in our lives. He wants it to bring transformation in our lives. Let's finish the verse. It says this, No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Through the grace of God, you can have rest in your heart and have a fruitful, flourishing, and productive, busy life because you're in grace. Grace is a game changer. Grace establishes our identity in Christ. Grace invites us into relationship with God, and grace empowers us to do good works. Are you hungry for grace this morning? Yeah. Well, there's two groups of people I want to address as we think about grace this morning. The first group of people are, are people that have been investigating faith. You know, oftentimes when I meet people on the street and tell them about Jesus or something God's done in my life, they'll say, hey, that's good for you, but I've got some things in my life I kind of need to take care of, and then I'll be ready, and then I'll be ready to follow God. I want you to know that's a lie. That's not grace. See, the grace of God, when it's present, we're able to be fully accepted by God just as we are. And I think there's people this morning that are kind of like that city of Amsterdam that we talked about earlier in the message. There's been a wall around your life, and I think God is wanting you to open that door and receive his invitation of grace this morning. There's another group of people, I think, that are here this morning. That's those of us that have received grace before. We're trying our best to walk in grace. We're, we're wanting to follow Jesus. But sometimes in life, we struggle with confidence, we forget our identity in Christ. We, we don't have the confidence and faith to move forward in the grace of God. You know, my birthday was in April. And I uh, woke up on my birthday, and it was my 31st birthday. And as I was praying, I felt God speak to me. And I felt like he said, Kendall, I, I want to give you 31 promises for your birthday. I thought, this will be cool. So I got out my journal. And, and as I started praying, what I felt like God saying, they're all in the book of Ephesians. And, you know, this was before we were doing a series on Ephesians. This was before that was an idea. But I think there's some of us this morning that need to be reestablished in the grace of God. Grace needs to be a game changer in our life again. And I want to read these promises over you as a way for you to receive grace this morning. So if you're taking notes, you can set that down. You can kind of go into receiving mode. You can close your eyes. You can open your hands. You can do whatever you want to do. But I want to read these promises from the scriptures over you as we get established in the grace of God. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. We are saints. Verse 2. We have grace. 
we have peace. Verse three, we are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. Verse four, we are chosen, we are homeless, we are not homeless, we are holy and blameless before him. Verse five, we are adopted into his family. Verse six, we are beloved and we are in the beloved. Verse seven, we are redeemed and forgiven from sin. Verse eight, we have lavishly received grace. Verse nine, we have a purpose. Verse 11, we have an inheritance in his kingdom and he is working all things in our life together for his will. Verse 12, we are the praise of his glory. Verse 13, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. Verse 17, we have a heavenly father. We have a spirit of wisdom. We have a spirit of revelation. It's okay to clap or shout if something hits your heart. Verse 18, we have a hope and a calling. We have riches that are glorious. Verse 19, God's power is working towards us. Verse 22, Christ is our head and we are his body. We have received his fullness. Chapter two, verse four, we are loved with a great love. Verse five, we are spiritually alive. We are together in Christ. Verse six, we have been seated in heavenly places above our circumstances with Christ Jesus. Verse eight, we have received a free gift from God. Verse seven, we have grace and kindness that cannot even be measured. Verse nine, we are his workmanship. And verse 10, we have been created to do good works. That's grace. Grace is a game changer. Let's go ahead and stand up and respond. Just as we stand, have a minute or two here, I just feel led by God just to pray and invite his grace into the room. And I think there's some of you that are gonna feel God drawing you and saying, yes, now's the time. Now's the time to receive my grace. Now's the time to come into the kingdom of God, to leave your old life behind. And I think there's others of you that are gonna feel grace in your life. Maybe it's for a specific trial. Maybe it's for a specific need. But I believe God's gonna speak to you this moment and begin to impart grace to you. Let's pray. You can open your hands. Father, we pray right now. Just release grace all over this room. Father, for every trial, we pray that you release grace. For every, for every struggle against sin, God, we pray that you'd release grace. God, for every hard relationship, for every financial difficulty, for every sickness and disease or injury, we pray that you'd release grace right now. God, we are your people and we are asking again for grace. We just wait on you, Lord. to Jesus, walking with God, it's a long journey, but it starts with a step. That step is receiving his invitation. And the way that you receive it is by praying. I want to teach you how to pray a simple prayer to respond to God this morning. If you're doing this for the first time, you can repeat this after me. You can pray something like this, Jesus, I give my heart to you. I receive your grace as forgiveness and payment for my sin. I believe that you died on the cross. I believe that you rose from the dead. And I pray that now from heaven, you would send your spirit to live in my heart. I turn from my old life and 
I embrace your grace. Thank you for your love. Amen. So with every eye closed, is there anyone here that's praying that for the first time this morning, giving their life to Jesus for the first time? Just raise your hand. Okay, I see, see you there. Thank you very much. Anyone else just want to be able to pray for you? Great. Thank you very much. Anyone else? Great. Thank you very much. Anyone else? Great. Bless you. Bless you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for your grace, God. We thank you for your grace that's touching people in this room right now. We just invite the grace of God to come into their life and fresh measure in Jesus' name. Rather than having a, a, a traditional prayer time this morning, there's something I want to do. If you're someone that is in the midst of a circumstance or for a trial, I just want to say the front is open to you to get on your knees and ask God for grace in your life. The scripture says this, that God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. So if you need grace for a trial or situation in your life, the front's going to be open for you just to get on your knees while we worship. You can come forward now. Some of our prayer team will be over here praying for the sick and doing the other types of encouragement we always do. Father, we pray you'd move in our lives as people come and move forward in humility. We pray that you'd give them great grace. In Jesus' name, amen.